Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. joined by my co-host, Luke Badman, the big bad man. How you doing, my brother? Good, man. Last episode for the year. Last episode. Oh, mate, do you reckon we can fit one more in? Oh, no, it won't be. It won't work. That's all right. How exciting. Another year flown by, hey? We're, we're, uh, we're on the home straight for the year. Home straight. I was actually planning that we should do like a What Dogs Have Taught Us this year, um, but maybe at the end of this episode, we can reveal... Maybe one thing that a dog or many dogs have taught us and maybe give a little bit of introspection for our listeners to um, kind of ponder on, you know, we're so busy teaching dog stuff, but what are they teaching us? And I did reveal in last episode, you know, um, it's the silly season, but don't be a fool. I thought it was pretty cool play on words and a few things to consider about what's going to, what to look forward to in regards to many visitors coming over. You're going to people's houses. What does that mean for our dogs? And, you know, don't let this time of the year be like too much of a slowdown, you know, kind of keep up a good, a bit of pace, take some time for family and rest, but also don't let this time of the year allow you to lose momentum for the beginning of next year. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of lose that depends on what you're motivated by, I guess. But, um, but maybe we'll talk at the end of the episode, remind me. And if I forget, you got to tell us people that you, we forgot to talk about it, but I think it'd be really important. But Today's episode, I want to talk about the three spinning wheels and what the hell does that even mean? So when you're, especially when it comes to dealing with reactivity issues and, you know, dogs lack of focus in the out, well, at the outside environment, what are the three main elements and contributing factors to success in training? And the three things that, that are working all together, hence the three spinning wheels is the dog the environment, and the handler. And those three wheels have to be spinning at the same time. Otherwise, if one is spinning faster than another one, if we're going to use this analogy, then the cogs of the machine aren't working together, which means the whole entire thing isn't going to work. It's out of balance. Yeah. Exactly. And also, as the analogy is happening in my brain, if I can kind of materialize it in my words is, do we even have one spinning wheel bigger than another spinning wheel? <laughs> you know, like we want them to be the same size. We want them to be spinning at the same time. If what's happening in my brain's coming out in words properly is that if the environment's buzzing so much and there's so much going on and you haven't set yourself up for success and your dog's at a certain level and you're all the way out there, you have no idea. You're, you're this tiny ass little spinning wheel. Your dog's just an ordinary spinning wheel and the environment's a massive one. How is everything lining up together? So again, it's more of an, a metaphor for how can Balance we get all the uni- unison? Unison? What's the word? Yeah, I think unison. Things works. to be in unison. Yeah, exactly. And also, even if they're not kind of identifying it and being aware of it. So, like for example, let's say your dog is reactive to a busy environment. Let's say your dog was like chilly. He came from you know a rural environment. Now he's you know a year old 
and now you're in a very busy suburban environment where there's lots of bikes and people and buses and kites and and dogs barking and so much going on and you need to consider well what, what's your skills at so for me i was able to up the antes a little bit because i was ready equipped with technique and skill that i could start implementing it like right away actually i think I, we did mention it when i when i did um, when I first acquired Chili was it was kind of exciting to do the training that I teach all day, every day with the dog that I just have, like I have him at my disposal. I can just do the stuff without even having to stop and explain and blah, blah, to be able to just work on it straight away. And for example, I knew that I observed that he was scared of a bus when I was waiting at the traffic lights, a bus stopped right in front of us because it was a bus stop as well. And as soon as the bus stopped, I went and lowered in front of him. Yeah, yeah, he jumped back. Like, what the hell is that? So I'm like, okay, cool. Take note. Now in that moment, I did mark and reward and I did try to get his focus on me, but I was, was I not expecting it? I was expecting the fact that I haven't observed him in front of a bus before. Let's see how that goes. Now, most dog owners are just, I don't know. I'm just standing at the traffic lights and a bus came out of nowhere and made a random noise that I never even take notice of, and my dog freaked out. And then very reactive to the situation, rather than for me, I'm like, hmm, there's a bus coming, let's see what he's like here. And as soon as it happened, he jumps back, I mark and reward. So then in that, not that the mark and the reward in and of itself is going to fix him, but at least it assisted him a little bit better through that trend or that, not transition, but through that sort of experience. So... The three spinning wheels have to be working together. I now need to go, all right, I'm waiting for buses to come by. So, for example, I'm walking with my friend. We're up at the traffic lights a different day. I've got my clicker. I've got my pouch full of his dinner, Chili's dinner, not my friend's dinner. And I'm standing at the lights there <laughs> as, as the bus goes past. Dep- depend, depends what you might eat for dinner. If, I mean, if he eats uh, kibble, then it could have been his dinner. Well, I must be such a control freak that I'm even training my friends on a, on a nightly walk as well, right? <laughs> um, so as I'm standing at the traffic lights, the bus starts to approach. Now I even noticed Chili look at the bus. As soon as he looked at the bus and the bus uh, um, passed us, I marked it with the click. My dog snapped his head, or Chili snapped his head at me, and I fed him his food. Now, which is ironic, I guess I have mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast, but it was a funny moment where my mate realized what I actually do and what he thought I did in my regular job. He saw me with a clicker, so he didn't even just hear me say yes, but I click and I feed. And he, um, he's like, what are you doing there? You're like mad scientists manipulating the dog to do things for your agenda, something along those lines. And I'm like, well, dude, what do you think I do every day? You think I just play with dogs in the grassy fields? Like I'm, of course, conditioning dogs to feel a certain way so that I can have the desired outcome and result that I want. And not only that, but of course, we have to like teach that to people that's the process so they can do it themselves without the assistance of me being around. But he saw it as now I think it would be different if he heard me say yes, compared to pressing a mechanical button. I think there was a different observation that he had is like, you're like doing something to the dog that seems out there. And I'm like, well, a lot of what we do is out there, right? It's part of conditioning. It's a pretty intense process when you actually think about it. So, um, so anyway, my point, my whole point there is that I'm observant of the environment and how my dog reacted. I'm also trying to be mindful of how I'm going to react. So I want people to think of the three things, the environment, AKA the bus and everything else that's going on around. Cause it could be a kite and, you know, a dog barking behind us at the same time the, the bus is going. So that's a big spinning wheel and your dog, where is he at? 
What's his behaviour looking like? Is he stressed? Is he overexcited? Is he is he overaroused? Is he in drive? Is he hungry? You know, what are you doing? Are you touching and rustling your treat pouch? Are you clicking at the wrong time? Are you even observing? Are you listening to this podcast while you should be training your dog in this moment? Um, are you on the phone to your friend? Are you talking to the guy next to you? There's so many things going on. You want all those three spinning wheels to be working together. So um, does that make sense so far? Yeah. Like if one with spinning wheel is too small, too big or not spinning or it's spinning in the wrong direction, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's almost like juggling, right? You've got to have all three balls in the air at the same time. Otherwise you're not actually juggling. That's a good point. The juggle can work as well. I don't know why I think of three spinning wheels. I think it kind of works in the analogy because you want it to, to be in unison, as you said, and look, I guess I don't talk about juggling because I can't juggle for shit. So I guess I don't think about juggling, but juggling is exactly the same. <laughs> you, you're, you're thinking about the ball. Uh, uh, is each ball the same size? Are you thinking about are they like how many of them are there? And also, are you doing the right things? So, like for example, the reason why the handler is such an important part of all of this, and the handler is a dog training, like a dog industry term of the person who's handling the dog at the time. It could be your neighbor walking the dog. They're not the owner, but they're the handler. So think of that because you could also think of, well, I'm the owner of my dog, but when Tanya, even though Tanya also owns him, but if she was a walk, then she's the handler. And I think the handler is something that is a very industry term that we use, but it's not a very common term that's used in everyday layman's terms. But the handler is an important part of all of this because are you rustling that pouch at the same time that that bus is coming by? So your dog's already looking at you before you can even mark and reward. So the dog's looking at you because you're rustling that pouch and your hand's in a certain position, you've got food in your hand, that spinning wheel is out of sync of what you're trying to do. And I think it's always important as well that we're talking about these three spinning wheels, but we're talking about, well, what's the agenda of the session? What are you trying to either train or teach? Or what are you trying to desensitize or create a more neutral experience around? And I think this is always very important to keep asking people, what do you want? What are your goals? What are you aiming at? What are you trying to do? What do you want? What do you want from today's session? As much as I'm going to tell you what you think you should need, I need you to tell me what it is that you want. So in that particular situation, we'll talk about the bus, is that I don't want him scared of buses. I think it's a ridiculous thing to be scared of. He wasn't overly scared of. He just got spooked by it. But if I didn't handle it properly in that moment where he first saw the bus, I could have created a more aversive event towards that one bus which then could have been subsequently more of an issue towards other buses. So let's break it down. We'll talk about- Do you ever, find, do you ever find owners that uh, like when you ask them, they say like, oh, I don't really know or I've never really thought about it? The outcome of what we want him to do? Yeah. Yeah, totally. People are just like, I just don't want my dog to act like an asshole. I'm like, well, that's just not, that's not really specific enough. Or I just came from a session. I'm like, and they're so- focusing on what they, they're focusing on what they don't want, right? As opposed to what they do, which we, we talked about this so many times. Standard. Um, which I think is it's a valid point because, because every time we're thinking we- of something, like thinking of dogs as something to be fixed rather than something to be taught, you know? Yeah, I think it's valid because every time I talk about it, so I just saw, so I'll refer to two sessions I saw today. First of all, was a 16 year old guy. 15-year-old actually, um, just bought a dog and he has the initiative to do some training, which I think is amazing. His parents weren't there. He's on school holidays. Like, I just got a puppy and I need to do the right thing. And I'm like, you're awesome. And he's actually finishing my sentences. So he's obviously been listening to the show. He's been, he watched the intro video and learned something from it. So he was like, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. And um, 
And he was like, yeah, yeah, like we want to teach a dog what we want and we want to set him up for success and blah, blah, blah. So my point is my, my the second person I want to refer to was, and actually side point, going on a tangent, bring me back if I lose it, is um, we haven't done a Puppy 101 episode for a while. So the next one that I think I'm going to do or say over the next couple of episodes is a bit of a, um, what do you call it, to um, – to rectify a few things that have changed over the three years because people are still getting spawn ultimate control harnesses. Um, and now we've been using like the ROGS harness and it's a, it fits a little bit better. It's more which accessible. One? The ROGS H harness? Yeah, the ultimate control harness. ROGS? Which ROGS, yeah. So yeah. much nicer, better, easier to fit. There's less duvalakis on it It's and it's more, in Sydney anyway, it's more accessible to buy at the stores. Is that, is that, the, is that the H harness? Is that what they call it? The control harness? Yeah. So they stopped giving the H harness how it was, and now they've got like a little chest plate on it. It's got the front clip option. Oh, okay. And also, and it is still a H harness because of yeah. the way it's shaped. Like it's not one, it's not the step in one, but the con- it's a control harness because it has the options of clipping on the back of the chest. So I've been using that more. Like I don't get the spawn one anymore. Um, so people that have listened to the old episode are getting that harness. Not that it's bad. It's not like it doesn't work, but the ROGS also has like the sizing of it works a little bit better as well um, for the dogs. So, um, so I want to do an episode to kind of rectify a few things. And another thing I want to say was the difference between doing training at four to six, four to five months old compared to doing training at six months and over, there's a bit of a difference. And my client today, she understood. She like, cause, oh, I know what you're talking about now. So we did lots of puppy training with the little Roddy. Now the dog's six months old and we moved from the harness onto the slip lead. And I said to her, the importance of because I saw her only about like six weeks ago. I'm like, look, you're still walking on the harness until his adult teeth are fully come through. He's a little bit more cognitive, he's a bit more prepared. We put that slip lead on and we start working obedience training. Obedience training starts at six months, six or seven months, and puppy training is under six months. And there's a reason for that age. And I wanted to um, do a bit more justice to that point where I I probably could have at five months old get that slip lead on the puppy, but I think she would have butchered it. I'd rather wait six and a half months old, get even though he's going to be pulling a bit on the harness, get that collar on and just to, just to hone that in a little bit more about the importance of that. Assuming they don't outlaw slip leads in the next <laughs> few months. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I doubt a few months, but um, we have to be working on a side hustle so that when they make our job impossible, <laughs> we need to figure out what we're going to do in life. Um which is pretty concerning, but um, but yeah, there's an importance of, and I, I guess what I was saying to to Natalie was, everything that we were doing in puppy training was actually leading to these points now, and everything I taught him in today's session was leading up to the next point. So we're not only working on issues in the moment, but we're also planting seeds for the next session, and they don't really know that until we get to that next session. It's like, so now how I showed you with this technique, well now that's what this means here. It's like, oh shit, that's pretty clever. But people have to be committed to the training to see those sessions through not we did some puppy training. We finished at five months old. Now we met up again at 18 months old. You don't remember the technique I showed you. Like it's not fresh in your mind and it's hard because I I don't want to keep people forever, but I do want to keep them for that little bit of a process because I can't show you everything at five months old. I can't really show you everything at seven months old. So, and we've been doing a lot more group classes and the group classes kind of make it a bit more affordable for people as well as keeping them committed and part of the community, the network and making things move forward. So anyway, that was my little bit of a tangent, but um, 
But I do want to do another Puppy 101 just to kind of rectify everything that's kind of changed and kind of just remind people that there's a difference between setting a puppy up for success in life with the foundations. There's, there's three most important things of puppy training, along with what's the difference between puppy training and obedience. So that will be on the list. Episode three is still our most downloaded episode of all time. And I'm very happy for that. Actually, in fact, so part of the process of booking in is that you have a puppy. I give them all the puppy 101 episodes. You listen to those episodes. You got to listen to them, listen to the, watch the intro video. And at least those things there become the foundation. So it could be because first of all, it's a very important episode to listen to. And also every client's meant to listen to it too. <laughs> Not that I have thousands of clients, but, um, but it's, um, I think the recent episode that um, Glenn and Pat did was really, really useful as well. It was like a few couple, maybe two or three weeks ago, the, was called like the top three mistakes that new puppy owners make. That was yes. a very, very good episode. It was good. Um, Actually, I was going to- So, if there's anyone out there listening that has a puppy, I would highly recommend you go and listen to that fairly recent can- one on the canine paradigm. Which is paradigm. the canine paradigm, yep. Um, so, yeah, Pat was talking about the three things that dog owners do that they shouldn't do. And um, it's actually quite ironic because the three things that I- want people to do are basically almost the opposite of the things that he he was dimensioning he doesn't want them to do. So the three things that that we focus on in puppy training is expose your puppy to the world appropriately, appropriate socialization and habituation. You want to teach a puppy how to learn and good management inside and outside of the house. You can master those three things. Everything else is a an extension and from those foundations. So um it was a really good useful episode to um to delve into, especially if you're a new puppy owner. Um back to our point is those three spinning wheels is about understanding. So continuing talking about the environment, what's happening, what are your goals? Oh, sorry. I didn't even get to finish my point. So when my client was there and he's going, so Mike, so what are we doing today? Cause I know what I want to do. I'm trying to, I'm here to teach you. We're getting off the harness because you're not getting much from a front clip harness on a six month old rot wheeler. Like that just sucks. Now Um, I wanted to show him how to use a slip lead and how to get to a point where we can reinforce and, continue the, the obedience of sit, stay, down, stay, recall, bed command, but also loose lead walking, where we didn't really address loose lead walking in puppyhood. We give some foundations of how to use a front clip harness to discourage a young pup from powering ahead, but you're not getting good loose lead walking on a front clip harness. That sucks. And I don't want a puppy to be on a collar for many other reasons, which we'll discuss at some other time. But he said to me, he's like, I just want him to bloody listen to me. I'm like, and what does that look like? Like, what do you mean? He goes, well, like just be obedient and listen. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, what are, you, what are you actually talking about? Listen how? What do you want him to do? Have you given him a reason to listen to you? Well, yeah, for sure. That's a great question. But also, but not even- that, Was that a- Someone posted about that. Um, was it Chad Macken? I think it might have been. It was a couple months ago. It was one of them. I can't remember who it was. I'm pretty sure it was Chad Macken. And it was along those lines. It's like, what reason have you given the dog to listen to you? Like, it's why should point. he listen to you? You know? Well, like, like when someone says something like that, I want the dog to listen. I want him to be obedient. It's like, okay. So have you, are you the, are you the type of handler or leader for your dog who should be listened to? Have you that, established yourself as that? I would also ask even a more fundamental question. What, what, what is listening to you? Like, like, I don't know, we all, everyone listening, me and you, we know what we're talking about, but like, let's be specific. And actually one of the episodes that I wrote down just yesterday um, that we're going to discuss is um, words are just our sounds that our face make. 
be clear about what you're actually saying. You you're saying stuff to your dog, but your dog just hears blah 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 so you say, I just want him to listen to me, like just behave himself. Um, it's like, well, what do you mean? Like, what does it mean when pressure's on the leash? What does it mean when pressure's off the leash? What does it mean when you say come and sit and down? Like, what do they actually mean? And another thing that is useful on that point is me and you know how to talk, and maybe this isn't the same for both of us, but I say to my clients, like, we all know English. We've been hanging out for the last 45 minutes saying the same sounds and our ears are set, listening to our mouths and we all understand. I go, but... So you know how to talk is my point. I go, but if I put you on a podium in front of 150,000 people and I ask you to tell me your story and you buckle and you stutter and you don't get the message out properly and you come off the stage and I ask you, what the hell just happened? I thought you knew how to talk and now you buckle talking. Like, do you not know how to talk now? And then you'd be like, well, obviously it's different. It's dependent um, on the context. Exactly. So your dog knows down inside the house. But at Ramsgate shops in front of 150 people and people and dogs and loud noises and, you know, food on the floor and all that, now does your dog not know what down means because he doesn't down? He knows down. He knows it. I'm like, yeah, but he's in front of the podium now and now he's stuttering and your poor kid doesn't know how to talk in front of that many people, let alone most people can't talk in front of 10 people that they don't know, five people, two people that they don't know, let alone a whole stadium. I went to Jordan Peterson a couple of weeks ago, and that was amazing. Such a cool experience to see him in the flesh. Um, there was like eight Which days. one did you go to? Which date? The Friday. So the first one. Oh, yeah, I went to that. <laughs> I didn't know you, you went there. there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah look there, how much us, we're not even communicating <laughs> with each other. We should have bloody spoken about it first. <laughs> I totally, this year went so fast that I didn't even, I'm like, oh my God, next week I'm going to go see Peterson. I booked um, the tickets in like, I think it was like February or March. It yeah, was a I, long time ago. Yeah, I did mine like January something. It was crazy. So like yeah. I didn't even remember. So um, oh that bums me out that I didn't know you were there. I would have loved to um because he did to he did to he did the week after, but I didn't go to that one. Yeah, I went to the Friday. Oh damn yeah. it! Oh that makes me annoyed. Anyway, um, it was a good time, right? It was really good. Yeah, it was yeah, amazing. It was um, so anyway, so um, and I just realized like you know just my, my wife sharing couple of random posts like oh look what these people say about him i'm like oh my god anyway i'm like to be loved by many you have to be hated by some and the people that hate have a very loud and um and i don't know like meaningless blabber like what are you even talking about like you probably haven't even listened to his message for you to hate him but anyway um i think he's amazing and i treat him as one of my virtual mentors and to see him in real life like I've listened to a lot of what he had, what he had to say, but just to be in the presence of him was really cool. But imagine standing in that stage and talking to that many people and to talk like we're talking right now. Every night. <laughs> every night, right, is, is different. So when your dog has to recall off a bird, when you judge him because he recalls really nicely at home, it is a different thing. Those spinning wheels are out of whack. So you need to understand that you need to adjust your wheels as you're progressing your training. So- you want your dog to listen to you? Well, what does that mean? Well, it means when I say, look, you look at me. When it means down, you lay down. When it means when the short lead is on, the slip lead, the martingale, whatever you walk on, then your dog's on a loose lead next to you. It means that when you do a certain gesture, like you turn around, like you don't, I don't tell my dog turn when I turn around. If I turn, my dog doesn't follow me. Pressure on his leash goes on. My dogs need to proofly see me where I'm at. So if I turn, there's a bit of pressure going on the lead. They've got to move with it. You've got to be clear about those things in a certain environment before you up the antes. 
So I didn't take Bubbler today, the Roddy, and take him to the most extreme environment and gone, hey, this is how a slip lead works. No, I start off in the backyard. We did a little bit in the shared communal space of the complex. We did it out on the front street. We went closer to Ramsgate shops. There was a couple of dogs that walked past. I showed them how to manage it. And that's how we get those three spinning wheels together because half our job, like most people think it's the dog and a little bit of the environment, but most people aren't focusing on the handler enough. Like where's your hand at? Are you applying pressure? Like if you've gone from the transition of walking on a harness and then going straight into walking on a slip lead, just the handler has to be addressed because how you hold a harness is tension. How you should hold the slip lead is complete opposite. It should be relaxed. So, and then also like, you know, when Nat was walking, she's staring at the dog. I'm like, the more you look at him, the less he looks at you. You've got to stop staring at him. Check in on him. But don't be like laser eye focused on him. Walk so your dog's looking at you and you're not staring at him. So that as well as, so like, so when the three spinning wheels, it's almost like the three bubbles. It's the three things that your situational awareness needs to be tuned into. You need to know what's happening in the environment. Oh, there's a bus coming. Oh my gosh, there's a bird over there. Oh, that dog's barking. My dog's going to react to that. So you got to be paying attention to the environment. You got to pay attention to your dog, his body language what winds him up, what state of mind he's in, and also what his abilities are. Are you asking him to do a speech in front of 150,000 people when he can't even talk normal English? So you got to like know his skills. And then also, are you telegraphing and overshadowing all of your commands because you're doing things before you're talking and using those verbal commands? So it's very stressful thinking about all three spinning wheels but you've got to address them and set yourself up for success, which doesn't mean, and I think people become a little bit too conservative and they're like, well, we're going to do lots of training in the driveway for the next three weeks. I'm like, no, like you should don't, don't, um, don't, over, don't exaggerate it by going, well, now we're not going to get in front of any dog because my dog reacts. Like you've got to, the only way to desensitize them and teach your dog what to do in certain environments is exposing them to it, but you don't want to go too fast and you don't want to go too slow. So some people are, are a little bit less, they're more risk averse and don't go out quickly enough to this sort of environment. And some people are way too gun ho and they're like, we're flooding you now, buddy. You're listening right now. <laughs> so you do need to know three elements. Where are you at? And also like, for example, if um, my mother-in-law, we went to Brisbane last week for a couple of days to visit my sister, she had a baby. Oh, and congratulations. um thank you thank you uncle Nooch little boy or little girl little girl yeah. so cute amazing so beautiful what three weeks call? old and um it's um what did they call up Hannah? oh name? oh mika cute yeah yeah um yeah it was amazing good time to see um to see my sister it's it's kind of odd when we spread ourselves around the world and we're not all together in the same village um so it was a very special time it was nice and um but my mother-in-law is looking after the dogs. Now, would I, now my dogs are pretty sound, but would I, if one of my dogs had a behavioral issue, would I put it on my mother-in-law to be like, just walk the dog so he gets exercise? Because if he had a behavioral issue and he lunges at people or bikes or something and she's walking oblivious to it, she has no idea even about what's, what, what, what the dog's behavior is like. She has no skills to deal with a behavioral issue and she's not knowing what to look for. She'll come back going, oh, your dog chases bikes. I'm like, oh, my God, of course it chases bikes. You're supposed to do that technique or you're supposed to manage them in appropriate space and all this sort of stuff. So, so many people butcher it so hard that, of course, the dog goes off 
either getting reinforced for bad behaviors or continually having a negative averse experience, which makes the behavior worse. Are we, are we on track or have I lost myself? We're still here. You're still making sense. Still making sense. Look, a lot of these things is um, a lot of the topics that come to me. It's either while I'm like halfway through explaining something, I'm like, sorry, one second put in the file. I'm like, we're going to address that in the next podcast. Um, and I know that we've addressed this in a different manner, but I think I'm very visual thinker. I like to, and, and I'm very audible. I like to listen and to see things compared to like, I'm not good at reading something and then putting it into play. And I think Thinking about and I, and I'm and I'm also very aware that many different types of people are listening. So if we can address similar sort of themes in different ways, this that may make the the, the penny drop to be like, oh damn it, I get it. Because I used to think of it as bubbles. I'll be walking. One bubble was like me and the dog. That's a small bubble, and then the the bigger bubble was the environment. And I guess that was like the original thought. Well, like me and the dog are one thing. And the world is another thing and we're both opposing each other. So the three spinning wheels is a breakdown of the two bubbles, <laughs> bubbles and wheels, right? But um, because what's important is another thing to consider is your dog may react differently if I walk him compared to if you were to walk him. Like that, that it's not about the dog learning the skill. It's not about the human learning the skill, but the combination between dog and human or dog and handler rather, that's a whole new skill that needs to be developed as well. So it's that's that's the tricky part. Like you may know the theory, but then you may have Jane and you know and her dog, you know Billy, and they have both. They, they may be a combination that you haven't worked with before, and you're like, oh, but I, but the technique's a technique. The theory's a theory. Why isn't it a, why isn't it working properly now in the application of it here? Is because how one person's psychology and the dog's psychology. Have to we have to adjust the training a little bit differently. And I think that's why it's important here that you are aware of what's going on around you. Be more proactive. Be more observant of what's happened yesterday so that you can change what you're going to do today, but always have that. And as we began the, the conversation is where are you aiming at? So, so important. I'm, not, I'm going to like talk about that honing on that for so long because if you don't know what you're aiming at, you're just you're just playing that we you know the weasel and you're hitting the, the hammer on the on the weasel heads on that on that arcade game. Whack a mole, yeah. Whack a mole. <laughs> you're just constantly whacking moles. You're putting out fires everywhere. And I think I could be like that as well when it comes to, you know, I, I may be a certain way with training dogs, but like running business, managing family, managing my own stuff, you know, keeping everything in order. Sometimes you feel like you're just putting out fires constantly. And it's hard to be advancing forward and working on, oh, I've got new projects I want to work on, but you're constantly putting fires out, you know, and I think people are like that with, with training their dog. You know, they want to do this cool stuff with their dog, but but they keep going backwards because they keep having adverse experiences. So putting the application of training to work while on the fly is um, is really something that is a skill in itself. Because I see a lot of trainers, they know like they're, they're, they're adequate trainers. They understand the theory. They, they can do the training of the dog. But when it comes to behavioral modification, it's very and, – and they can probably do a lot of the training in a boarding facility or in a very controlled environment. But when it comes to 
life-throwing. So, for example, this is the same but not the same. There's a few things to, to address, and I think it's cool to um, share the experience. So this is the first time we've had a bit of a screw-up in group class where um, I won't say names just to make anyone embarrassed, but um, one of the ladies, and she did was a little bit reserved with coming to group class. But I'm like, Why? Um, because the dog's like very reactive and she's an older lady. Who Isn't that the purpose strong. of the group class though on, on <laughs> yes. some level? Yeah. And that's why I said to her, I'm like, well, look, the point of it is to come and to desensitize and to work with it. And I go, look, and if it doesn't work out, if you feel like it's a bit too overwhelming, we can do a couple of one-on-one sessions to kind of get you back on track. And then you come back to another group class. Like we're doing them all the time now. But um, <laughs> now you're like, Panos, you should have listened to, to her because this is what happened. So she came, I'm like, look, um, we can, we'll talk about it. We can say the dog's name. So Banjo is border collie cross something big. Um, and um, he came in like making a big scene. I'm like, look, you guys just go way down there and just practice your stuff. But it's hard. We've got 14 dogs. Like, I'm not like manage, micromanaging every single person. And um, and I got her to come a little bit closer. And um, anyway, dog reacts, which is not an, an odd thing in our reactivity class. Like dogs are reacting quite, especially session one. Like they're pretty unsettled um, for the first couple of minutes. Generally, everything smooths out after 15 minutes. But in this situation, he pulled, she slipped on the gravel, fell mm. on the ground, let go of the leash and dogs going for dogs. So as I'm there talking to like, you know, a big group of people, I've like heard a commotion. I look over and boom, action time. I've got to run in. So he, so Banjo is going for um, a six, seven month old German shepherd. He's supposed to be having a positive experience and he's got a dog running at him. Dog didn't make any contact. I've had to stall the dog and um, stall the dog by, you know, um, using my feet and my hands because I couldn't get a, gra- a handle on him. He's too fast. He's got four legs. I've got two legs. And I've had to run like 20 meters or 10 meters to get close to the dog. So I've stalled him. He hasn't made any contact. And I was very happy how um, the shepherd's um, handler addressed it, body language. He used to be a cop as well. So he's got a bit of um, physical awareness and he's like, mm. you know, protecting the space. And in that time, I've kind of given the dog's dog a, a, a couple of um, touches with my foot, right? Well, like I couldn't get my hand on him. So I had to like kind of kick him a couple of times and not to hurt hey, man, him. And a correction is a correction, right? Just to stall him. And it wasn't even to educate him. It was, amount, it was more about not being able to jump on the dog, right? So, again, I'm exposing myself here or exposing the situation and you may be thinking, oh, I'm not coming to your group class. We've done so many group classes in the last year. We've had like 100 dogs more, 150 dogs come through the group class. This is the first time an incident occurred. Um, anyway, he ran up to another one of our um, regulars. Um, she was awesome. She like advocated for a dog, put a dog behind her. She's like, boy, big body language. In that moment was, was enough time for me to grab the dog's back legs, pull him back close to me, grab his collar and then get a proper handle on him. So I got the control. My point here is that situations unfold. Now for the other dogs that were had nothing to do with the situation, they started to like kind of get a little bit overwhelmed, but everyone was really, really on t- on point with getting the dogs focused back on them, making space if they needed to, rewarding the ba- some behaviors. And all other dogs just sat there going, looking around going, what's going on over there? So I was very happy with how the class um, went with their, with dealing with that situation because their dogs are going to be, um, affected in one way or another by the commotion. Um, I'm very happy that Banjo's owners um, wasn't injured. She was embarrassed. Clearly, she um, she you know she fell over, which like you know sucks for her. Now the learning lesson there, and, I, and we did actually catch up um, as a one-on-one to be like, and rectify a lot of situations. 
we won't get into heaps of detail, but basically it's very hard to tell an old elderly person how to fall down with a dog in their hand. But like, if it was me, if I was a fall over, yeah. the first thing is that my hand is getting close to my body and I'm keeping that leg close to me. Second of all, there's so many things that need to be fixed. So handling sucked. Things weren't, uh, um, weren't good. And again, is this, I mean, like, look, we're not here. We're not here to like make any judgments, but like, is that, is that like the best breed for someone of her age and handling no. ability to have? No, we had this conversation. I can't tell someone that they shouldn't have a dog. Um, I told her that it wasn't the best, like, you know, she ain't no spring chicken and the dog with his issues and with his physical size. Like now, look, we, um, well, she was opposed to putting the prong collar on today. We got a prong collar on him. And she's she lucky was she actually, doesn't live in Queensland or Tasmania yes, or anywhere yes. else where she doesn't even have a choice to do that anymore. For sure. Look, it's very appropriate from the, you know, previous um, episodes we've had and we, everything we discussed is that, you know, for the exact reason, I don't like the look of it, blah, blah, blah. We live in a certain area. People may judge it, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm like, look, we're going to go for a walk today with the pinch collar on and we're going to see how we go. So prong collar on, we went for a walk and she goes, this is the furthest he's walked in weeks. Oh my God, he's walking. Oh my God, he's focusing on me. Dog walked past us. Yeah, a little bit of a reaction. And she was able to correct him, tell him to go back into a sit and focus on her. She didn't have to get pulled over and let go of the lead. I'll go, look, you know what looks bad? When your dog comes off your hands and tries to bite another dog, that looks 10 times worse. What was he on at the group class? Slip lead. Slip lead, yeah. Slip lead. Um, So um, there- Question remains, like, let's say he was on the prong at the group class. Maybe he hits the end of the line and, you know what I mean, doesn't, doesn't knock have it a, over. Yeah, look, it was – and the session we had previous to group class, we had the pinch collar on, and we walked along Dole's Point. Heaps of dogs walked past us. It was a, the best walk he's ever done. But there was a little bit of convincing to do. And I'm like, look, after what happened, I go, at this stage, your dog's either going to stay in your backyard and never leave the house, you're going to rehome him to someone who can look after him, or, you, or your dog – or your dog gets put down. Uh, I'm like, but what? What are your options here? You get the, or you keep walking the streets and getting pulled over, and your dog causing more commotion and causing harm, and- possibly more injury, uh, some sort of serious injury to her too. Exactly. So like, like, there's there's no way around. Now, look, we only saw a couple of days ago, so I told her after two or three days, you report back to me how you're feeling um, in regards to your training, your progress, whatever, and I'll I'll share that with you guys when she reports back. Um, and even just talking about it, and this happened all the time. And Glenn had a great point in that episode. He's like, I want to know who has these bad experiences with prong collars because I want to hear about it and see it, but he doesn't see it. And um, talking about when to apply the right tool, there was one of my clients. He had some issues with his Kelpie, and I felt that putting the prong on that dog at the certain time wasn't the right time because he was very highly strung. I think the pinch collar would have just tipped him over the edge and make him too anxious because too much stimulation. Um, we've been on a journey of training and there has been different, we've been consulting with different people to kind of keep the dog under wraps because he's, he's got some neurological issues for sure. Um, last session we caught up and he's been coming to group class and the dog been pretty good. But when it has to be, he, he says, when I'm not around, <laughs> the dog acts out. Right. So we met up a week and a half ago. We fitted a prong collar on, on that dog. We walked the Esplanade. We actually walked the Esplanade. He messaged back about six days later. He's like, Panos, um, Louis being the best behavior he's ever been. I've been able to walk him. He's been walking past dogs. There's been no issues. I get to the, long, the park, long lead. We play ball. He goes, my dog's living a life again. I don't have to get rid of him. And he was like, I said, you, get, you got one month 
because he goes, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to get rid of him and move him on. I'm like, you, we got one month. We've got one month to see where we're at. And if you feel that it's still unmanageable and it's turning your life upside down, then I give you the go ahead, but let's give this a go. And um, and he did, and there's been positive. So my point there with my original point with how Banjo reacted was a few things. Number one, Banjo got off the leash while the lead slipped out of her hand. He then ran up to a bunch of dogs. I had to physically put my body on the line to stop, to protect the other dogs in the group class. I had to make sure that Banjo wasn't able to do something horrific like bite another dog or even get make any physical contact. I then had to physically handle him, give him back to the um, owners and, you know, control that situation. And then on top of all of that, with a big adrenaline dump, I can feel it rushing through my system. You know, you know what happens when you have to use your body on the line and act like that. You um, you know, like it's like running a marathon in a space of like 15 seconds. And it's like, all right, everybody, we're continuing with this. We're continuing with that. Well, let's do this. Let's do that. While having to breathe, center myself, continue to conduct the session, see if everybody's okay and continue the session. That was right at the beginning. And I was on an adrenaline rush for about 15 minutes after that. Then the crash came. I was driving home and I almost passed out. Not passed out, like I was so drowsy, sleepy, like I was having, having a crash. And you have to perform under these pressures. If you're if you're walking down the street and your dog lunges at a bike because you know your dog hates bikes, you have to just deal with, we're walking calmly. Oh, my God, something's happening. Boom, 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 boom. Not to mention the technique panel shared with you. Is the collar in the right position? Does your dog want food? Does your dog want to focus? How much distance are you making? There's so much going on. How can you manage yourself? while you're in a certain way. So again, remember, dog environment handler, where we've talked about the dog and you know what behaviors is he displaying? Is he displaying signals of stress, arousal, overdrive, you know, um, all these different things, environment, what's going on around you, but what are you doing? How are you responding to stress? How do you respond to when things are happening? Are you walking down the street and you see the bike, your dog starts to bend his head down, ears go forward tail goes up and are you now pressuring on that oh my god don't pull so you put the pressure on the leash the dog feels the pressure boom and he reacts <laughs> are you in a position where you can use pressure not to make the dog go into a behavior you don't want but to come out of the behavior and do it into a behavior you do want so there's so much going on right hence the three spinning wheels and thinking about three spinning wheels is that each wheel is spinning on its own and you want them to work in cognizant towards desirable goals that you want so that's my talk about the three spinning wheels. <laughs> <laughs> now, I did say that I wanted to talk about what dogs taught us this year. Yeah, let's let, let's just one, and I haven't even rehearsed this. I haven't thought about it properly. So, do you want me to go first, or you want to go first? Um, I'll go first. Yeah, go. You know, I think for me, um, it's not. It's not like Shadow teaches me a different thing every year. This is the second year that I've had him. I feel like. I'm generally a pretty impatient person and I think shadow and just dogs in general in that element of like connecting with nature and being more, I would say um, like serotonergic, you know, as in Mm. like more in the moment as, as opposed to dopaminergic where you're always looking for that next thing, like being out in nature and just being with shadow and, you know, it's just me and him playing, training, doing whatever. That for me is like my daily, um, you know, I don't really meditate outside of that, but I would say that sort of half an hour to an hour that I spend with him every day in the park, it is almost like meditation because- It's mindful. Yeah, mindfulness. It's just mm. it's just me and him. 
And like, I'm very strict about, you know, I don't use my phone with when I'm, when I'm, when I'm out with him and um, just being in the park with my dog, you know, barefoot in nature, enjoying his company. And I think without him, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't be in nature like that every day, you know? And I often think about what you say about how dogs let us be in nature Mm. on a daily basis. And it's totally true. Like I wouldn't have that connection. Like you could go for a walk, but like right now, as soon as I get off, yeah, as soon as I get off the phone, um, the 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 Zoom here, I'm gonna have my dinner, and my dogs have already had dinner before I did this, and I'm gonna go for a walk because Chili's been out all day, but Spades and Nookie haven't. I have to get them out now. Normally, would as if I would go for a walk at nine o'clock at night. Like, duh, I'm gonna sit yeah. down in front of the TV, maybe sit on the roller or stretch out a little bit, and hang out. And you know, being a you know being a bit neurotic, I'll probably do some work and other things that need to be done. But it's like, no, no, no. your dogs need to be walked. And you're getting out there. Now, I live one side of the street is a park. The other side of the street is a beach. So, I guess I have like a couple of different options of nature. Some people live in concrete jungle, like proper concrete jungle. But there's still a spot you can find. There's still being out of your there's house. There's always a park somewhere. A park yeah. or even even just going for the stroll and doing the thing with the dog that is an extension of nature that lives in your house. I think it's such a good point. And, yes, serotonergic. I've, I've heard of dopaminergic. I haven't heard serotonergic. And it bloody works. I like it. Um, cool stuff, man. I love that. One thing I've learned, maybe it's not like it's a new lesson, but I do want to say that this, wait, hold on. I had chili last year, didn't I? But it doesn't, doesn't matter because- You had him for about a year, about a year and a bit now, yeah? Yeah. So, he, we did have him last Christmas. So, I guess it wasn't like it was this whole year. But let's just say the time of having chili has been about a year and two months. So, in the time of owning chili, one thing that- And maybe something that I only- Because I never really talked about it on, on my um, Instagram or anything, but we've had a, we've got a kitten we've had for like- Have I mentioned that? Um, so, we've got like a new kitten we've had for like yeah, four I saw, weeks Yeah, I saw him on your, I saw him on your Instagram. Did you, What's yeah, his so, name? Cashew. Like the nut. Cashew. <laughs> and then someone the other day is like, are all your animals named after food? I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Hmm. Interesting. Chili, cashew. He's <laughs> like a tie. It's like a tie condiment. Spades and nookie. nookie. Yeah. Well, we know what nookie means. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah. You're I like you're running know. a, it's like you're running a, a, a Thai restaurant, mate. A thai, exactly. Um, Chili cashew. But, um, but little, little cashew, he's cool. He's a cheeky little kitten. He um has been driving us a little bit crazy just because he's out of control. Um, but he's cool. He's a cool kitten. And um, now with Chili hates cats with a passion. Now, when I say hate, doesn't mean hate like he wants to kill him. Hate as if no, like hate as in he sees it and he goes, "I need to get the hell out of here." He'll run uh. away. Like I'll be walking with him and he'll like smell a cat in the bush, and I'll see him like like start like running away. <laughs> like he's like he's like three houses away. I'm like, where are you going? I'm like, oh, there must be a cat around. So there's this now. I think it came from him never never seeing or interacting with cats before he lived with us. Then he saw Romeo before he passed away, our other, our previous cat, and um and then Romeo scratched him on the nose, and that like the sound that he made sounds like someone was like torturing him. I'm like, oh my god, Spades is killing Chili. I run outside, and he's like staring at the little little um like a little carnival sort of like um tent thing that my son would go in there to play and the cat was in there and I think Chili shoved his head in there and the cat swiped him on the nose and he was like (laughs) (laughs) and um, anyway so I think from there there was like no I don't really like cats and then 
he didn't live with Romeo long enough before he passed away to kind of be desensitized. So anyway, so when we first got Cashew, I'm like, oh, there's going to be a lot of management because um, a kitten is a kitten. He's not even a cat just standing in one spot. He's like bouncing around, chasing things up and down. It's all happening. So this is very long-winded, but it's going to get to a point in a sec. So um, lots of management. And I didn't really use much counter conditioning. Like I'm not using food to like, look at me, Chili. I wanted him to organically be cool and accepting of the cat using our structure and foundations more than treat pouch on, look at me. Like, cause I don't think that's as much as I teach it. And I think it's a very important thing, but once you've addressed and generalized counter conditioning and structure in your house, I think you can really get to a point of relationship can help with assisting with desensitization. So, and I didn't really flood chill. It's not like I like made him stay in one spot and let the cat jump all over him. Was that I just did a little bit of management. Sometimes I'll leave the cat in the kitchen and bring chili in for a bit, or I'd bring chili in, be on your bed, let the kitten walk around. I'll distract the kitten a little bit and just lots and lots of systematic desensitization in a way of slowly introducing them. And now I'll like chili and cashew outside just before we come on the, on the thing. And they're both looking at each other. They're sniffing each other. They're playing the kitten runs chili chases that took four weeks. Now I think four weeks is pretty good. Um, but still when you're living in it, four weeks seems like a lot of time, which most people would have screwed up in that mm. four week process. They would have made the cat either bitten by the dog because a dog can only run away so much. So I would never let the kitten chase down chili. I always, made sure chili felt good. I also wanted chili to accept the fact that the kitten may play with your tail a little bit. He may walk past you. You may dash and chase the little feather that we've given him to play with. So there's, I guess my whole point is what has dogs taught me or really honed in today is that, or this year is that training is a process and, and also just generally owning chili, a new dog. And I haven't had a new dog in like years especially one that has to have a specific job and to fulfill a specific role where spades kind of fell into the role where I got chili specifically for the role. They had to retire spades and that, and I'm pretty happy with chili's at so far. And the, the two things is number one, training is a process and that process takes time and you can't rush it just because I know stuff and I do it every day, it doesn't mean that it's going to be any easier for me. It took four weeks of managing and and manipulating a situation in the environment so that two different species can coexist with each other. And it's not like it was the hardest job. It's not like my dog was trying to kill the cat and it was only a kitten too, but it can be a little bit stressful, especially when you want to just kick back at the end of the day and not have to manage dogs and cats. Um, So training is a process, takes time. And honoring that time as being a way of life and just knowing, hey, this is just not the situation for her right now. And no, no, today it's going to be a little bit more uncomfortable. We're going to get them together a bit more. And, you know, taking risks takes practice, all that sort of stuff. So I think just let time be on your side. Don't be rushing and pushing for things so much. Push for what you want, but let the river of life take you too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because I think we live in a world, especially in a busy city, where we want things yesterday, and we're we're so dopaminergic that we get to miss out on being in the serotonin state of just mm-hmm. like being the here and now. And I think we're so driven to get you know ahead of the competition, to get ahead of yourself and your expectations, and to smash those goals. Is that you never really get to live, but also things take time. If you can organically let them happen, they're more stronger. So like I could have got chili to pay attention to me with food, but then it would have been very conditional. 
I wanted him to accept the fact that the cat is just a kitten and get the hell over it. There's a kitten walking around, like big deal. And the fact that he can now trust me, trust the cat and trust himself. And then also on top of that is um, management is such an important factor. People fail to manage their dogs and their animals. Of course, training doesn't work for you. You've got to manage. And even the best people in the industry manage their animals and manage themselves appropriately so they can get the desired results. So um, those are two main lessons is um, let 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 time be on your side. Training dogs is a process and training yourself to adjust your expectations and, um, and management, set yourself up for success as much as you can and, um, and enjoy the moment as much as you can as well. So yeah, that's Amen that. Amen to that, mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, another year of life with your dog done and dusted. Yes. Um, happy holidays to everyone out there. And thank you guys for listening as always. Um, yeah, we appreciate you very much. Because we have listeners, right? So Yes. Um, we appreciate you guys tuning in and you know if you got something out of it send us a message just share share it with your friends um the the numbers sharing with your TV. friends is is the yeah. biggest and sharing it on facebook or, or instagram really does help with more people finding out i have actually been um i know i think we say this every three episodes but we're getting more dms going oh my god i can't believe i didn't even know this podcast existed and i'm so thankful for blah blah, blah. so more people are finding us organically we don't advertise um our show we just do this because we love to do it it also helps us understand our own jobs um to be able to talk about one topic for a whole hour most of the time. So um, so it does help us understand our job better, but also we do we are here in it for the listeners. But if you can share it with your friends and family and other colleagues and and other trainers and and enthusiasts, I think that always helps us. Um, and that could be a good Christmas gift for us. So tell two people that you know about life with your dog. That would be much beneficial for sure. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, and also if you can give us um some sort of um review on either itunes spotify. or spotify yeah. that really really helps <laughs> do both please now i think spotify they really want you to um to listen yeah, to spotify is good you ha- they're, they're strict like you have to um listen to like a, a you know i don't know two or three episodes before they'll let you rate it which is fair so then there's no um sure. there's no fake reviews i guess totally but please some reviews would be good that'll be a good christmas gift for us cool all right We'll wrap it up there. Thanks, guys. And uh, we'll see you in the new year. Happy holidays. Stay safe. Train your dog. And uh, enjoy the moment. Much love. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips, and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at np underscore dog underscore training, my website, npdogtraining.com, or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, .com.au. I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna K9 Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.